listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on Yukon So we believe that God's word is living and active. So when we read a word of scripture, things the Lord wants to highlight to us will just hop off the page, will be highlighted for us. So as we read together tonight, our passage, Matthew 6, 19-34, we want to be attentive to the conversation that the Lord wants to start with us. So as I read, I just ask you to underline or highlight or just pay attention to a word or a phrase or an emotion that comes up as we read. Um, And then in the moment of silence, start a conversation with God. So I'll read, then we'll have a moment of silence, and then ask God, why does this word stand out to me? Why does this phrase stand out to me? What are you trying to highlight for me this evening? Um, and And as we prepare, we just want to let go of anything we carried in with us. So any stress, any anxiety, any frustration from the week or weeks of being locked inside. So I just invite you to join me to close your eyes. Take a deep breath in, just breathing in the goodness of God, allowing his presence to fill your lungs. And a long, slow breath out, just releasing any anxiety, stress, distraction you carried in with you tonight. And one more deep breath in. Just allowing God to be with you, to fill you. And a long breath out. Just choosing to be present here now. Choosing to be attentive and listening to what the Lord has for you. So Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, 
and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we thank you, Father, for your word to us, and we ask you to speak to us in the silence. What is your special word to us tonight? But these are really powerful verses, especially for a moment like this, a season like this, when we're all in transition, when there's a lot of insecurity about the future. Nobody really knows what is going to happen tomorrow. Literally, like if you'll be quarantined, if, you'll, if UConn will shut down, nobody knows. So there's a lot of peace and comfort in these words that whatever happens, um, the Lord will provide for our needs. So we've been working on the Sermon on the Mount for the last couple of weeks since uh, September or since the end of August, and sometimes it's hard to remember that this is actually all one sermon. So it feels sometimes like it's lots of little bits of chunks of a message. But when Jesus preached this on the hillside to the disciples and the people, he just sort of let loose with a fire hose of God's truth for 15 or 20 minutes. Like this chunk feels weighty to me. Imagine if you just had to sit there for 15 or 20 minutes and just he just let loose with like every powerful word that you could ever imagine. And like Maggie pointed out, the theme we've seen again and again, week after week, is that he is trying to show us a different way. That he's saying this is the way of the world, this is the way that the world would have you go, this is the wisdom of the world, and this is the way of God. This is the way of blessing those who lack, that the least of these have blessing. This is the one that, this is the way that says, love your enemies, love those who persecute you, love those who say hateful and do hateful things. So he's, to his people who are standing at a crossroad, he's saying you can choose the way of the world, you can choose the wisdom of the world, and you can have the things of the world. Or you can choose the way of God, you can choose the wisdom of God, and you can have the things of God. And as Jesus points out, the things of God are the things of plenty, the things of abundance, the things of having our needs met in ways we could not have expected through means we could not have expected. And the way of the world says, accumulate as much money as you can, because that is your only security, the only thing you can trust, the only thing you can depend on. That the size of your bank account determines the size of your happiness. But that's not the way of God. Jesus is very clear in these verses. These are some of his clearest and most direct teachings. He very clearly rejects the idea that money is our hope, that money is our security, that money is our source of happiness. So the world says, store up as much money as you can. That's your only choice. That's your only chance of security and happiness. And Jesus says, do not store up treasure on earth. He says, do not love money. You can't love God and money. You're going to choose one. And chances are you're going to choose money. Because it's tangible, it's here, it's near. And he says, do not be anxious about your needs. Do not trust money more than you trust God. And so Jesus is saying, do not do this. Do not go the way of the world. Do not assume that your security is in money. But do do this. 
Do store up treasure in heaven. Invest in your relationship with God. Spend time with God. Read his word. Walk in his presence. Do the things you do that make you feel close to God. Love God. Serve him. Worship him. Walk in obedience. Seek first the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means to look first to God. In circumstances and situations around you when the world is insecure and you're unsure, what do you do? You seek first the will of God, you look first to the word of God, and you walk first in the way of God. That you keep your eyes on Jesus and you walk with him and you trust him that everything else will fall into place. He will provide. So like Jesus says, conventional wisdom says, your security will come from money. But Jesus says, oh no. Security comes from God. First from God, best from God, and only from God. So as a little as a little poll, raise your hand if you've ever felt stressed about money. If you've ever had a moment of anxiety about money. I think we can all agree that for many of us, money is one of the most anxiety-inducing issues in our life. One of the ways at which people worry and they fight and they stress and they can't sleep at night because they're not sure what they're going to do, how they're going to get a job, how they're going to make money. Will they have enough to have the future that they dream about? And money feels like a marker of success. If we don't make enough money, we'll disappoint ourselves, we'll disappoint our families, we'll disappoint potential future and spouses, we'll just be sad and alone and broke our whole entire lives. And that is not a future that, that fills people with excitement. And for many people, the whole reason they come to UConn is to get a good education so they can get a good job and make good money and have a good life. But Jesus says, hang on. The way to the good life is not through your bank account. It's through a relationship with God. So he says again, security doesn't come from money. It comes from God. Happiness doesn't come from money. It comes from God. Fulfillment doesn't come from money. It comes from God. And we saw, again, we're at that crossroads. Conventional wisdom says the good life only comes with money. And Jesus says the good life comes with God. The good life comes first with God, only with God, best with God. Whenever people say money can't buy happiness, Vince and I have a good friend who always responds, well, I've never seen a sad person on a jet ski. And he's right. You don't see sad people on jet skis. Money buys a lot of fun experiences. Money buys a lot of great things. Money makes a lot of wonderful memories. And like we've talked about last week, like Vince talked about the last time that we're here, being good stewards of your money is an important trait of discipleship. It's it's wise to give 10% of your income and save at least 10% of your income. It's wise to have enough in your savings to cover six months of expenses, just in case something like a worldwide pandemic were to ever hit. Who would imagine that? And leave you stuck in home, unable to work for a while. Money is a wonderful tool. It is a wonderful tool for wonderful memories and exciting futures, but it's a terrible goal. Because the more money you have, invariably, the more money you need. When I was a grad student here, I made $25,000 a year as a grad student teaching in the English department. 
And I just remember thinking, oh, all my worries would be over if I just made $50,000 a year. If I could make twice what I'm making now, I would be on easy street. And then along came the day that I made $50,000. And I still distinctly remember thinking like, oh, it's just not enough. If only I could make $60,000, then all my problems, then I could get everything I needed, I could pay all my bills, I could get a new car. But every time I made more money, the same thing would happen. It was always just not enough. No matter how much more I made, somehow my expenses always magically expanded to meet my income. I had more bills, I had more rent, I had another car payment, I had school loans. All of a sudden, all, when, all the money I thought I would have that would lift all these worries off my shoulder, it still wasn't enough. And that was a hard lesson to me that security does not come from money. No matter how much money I make, no matter how much money I can bring in, it's never going to be enough. Security comes from God. The way to the good life is not through your bank account. It's through a relationship with God. And I want to be clear that this is not me, a privileged middle class white woman, talking about the fact that security doesn't come from money. Because it would be easy for that to be a message you just throw away. What do you know about not, having, not living with money? What do you know about hunger? What do you know about insecurity? What do you know about poverty? But it's not me saying this message. It's Jesus. And Jesus isn't talking to a room of mid-level executives trying to climb the corporate ladder. He is talking to people constantly on the very brink of starvation and poverty. He's talking to people who have nothing. They don't even know what a bank account is, let alone have a savings account. They're agrarian people who eat only what they grow, only what they bring in, only what they can sell. They are one bad drought or one early frost away from total starvation. No savings account, no governmental support systems, nothing to shield them from destitution. So when we talk about living on the brink of absolute desperation and poverty, these are the people that Jesus is talking to. He is not talking to cushy, middle-class people who just want to buy a nicer car. And to these people who have absolutely nothing, who dream of making enough so that they can feed their families, he says, money doesn't bring security. Money doesn't bring happiness. Money doesn't bring fulfillment. The way to the good life is not piling up money on earth, but it's investing in treasure in heaven. It's not doing everything you can to acquire more money. It's doing everything you can to love God more wholeheartedly, more faithfully, more desperately with each day. It's not worrying constantly about where the money is going to come from. It's trusting God to provide. And toward the end, it stood out to a couple of us. Jesus said, what's the difference between people of faith and pagans? Which in that day was pretty much everybody else. You're a person of faith or you're a pagan. You're you're a Jewish believer or you're a, a polytheistic pagan. Jesus says everyone else runs after money because they are worried about getting their needs met. 
But Jesus says, not the people of faith. This is that crossroads. Not the people of faith. Not the followers of God. They do not worry about whether they'll eat or drink. They do not worry where their rent will come from or how they'll find a job. They keep their eyes on Jesus. They seek first the kingdom and the righteousness. They keep their eyes on Jesus. They listen to his promptings. They follow his leadings. And they go where whatever door he opens, they say, this is the door from Jesus. This is the door of provision. This is the door I will walk through. And as they follow God, they look around and they realize, my needs have been met. As I followed Jesus, as I walked to the door he provided for me, I haven't gone hungry. I haven't gone without I've paid all my bills. I don't know how. Sometimes a miraculous check in the mail that you weren't expecting. Sometimes a gift from a friend, a gift from a stranger. But they make it through. I'm sure if you talk to friends and family of faith, they have story after story after story of the unexpected check that just showed up in their mailbox. The moment that they needed it. When they didn't think they could pay the bill, when they didn't know how they were going to put food on the table, when they didn't know how they were going to make it another month, God provides. And these things are easy to talk about in the abstract. It's easy to drum up a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. God will provide. We'll make it through. We'll trust him. It's easy to kind of get an emotive response to verses like these. But it's hard to actually apply it to your life. To think, well, what does that actually look like for me? If I really trust God, if I really believe that Jesus provides, what does that look like in my life? What worry that I'm carrying? What anxiety that's keeping me up at night? What thing that has taken grip of my heart am I going to let go of? Am I going to leave at the feet of Jesus because I believe with my whole heart that if I seek first the kingdom of righteousness, all these things will be given unto me. So tonight we don't want to live in the abstract. We want to live in the real. We want to live in the practical. We want to walk it out. What does that mean for you and you and you? What does that mean to leave those worries at the feet of Jesus? So if you open your bulletin to the the middle section, we've given you a couple of sticky notes. I think there are three sticky notes in there. And I'm going to give us just a few minutes. And I want you to write down three worries. Maybe they're financial worries. Maybe they're professional worries. They're anxieties that are keeping you up at night. They're a need that you have that you are desperate for Jesus to meet. I want you to take a couple minutes. You can write one on each. You can write a couple on each. If you've got a lot of worries, fill those pieces of paper up. And then we're going to pray over them, release them to Jesus, and I'm going to invite you to just leave them in the offering at the end. You've left them with Jesus. They no longer weigh on you. But I'll give you a minute to fill them out, and then we'll, we'll keep going. We'll kind of wrap this up.
dangers. We don't do these things at all. The other, we do them for the wrong reasons. But there is one promise, and the promise is a reward. Like Jesus talks about a reward. And I just want to talk briefly about... Um, it's sort of it's it's kind of oblique in this passage, so it's hard to tell exactly what Jesus is saying. But from what we know of the rest of the Bible, I just want to share. I really think the reward here is transformation. That's the reward. Okay. And here's what I mean by this. Jesus calls us to this higher standard, right? So we're not we're to we're we're. He calls us to nonviolence. We don't retaliate. We don't meet violence with violence. Okay? And we're called to love our enemies, to love people who hate us and to bless them. Well, that's really hard to do. Okay? That's not like sort of the natural human instinct. And so we can't just get there by willing it. We can't say, well, you know, Jesus said to be nonviolent, so that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to try really hard at it. Jesus said to love my enemy, and I'm just going to try really hard. That doesn't really work, okay? So what do we do? Well, we do what we can do. We engage in spiritual practices, which then transform us, right? So we give, we fast, we pray. Can we give, fast, and pray? Yes, we can do those things. And by doing those things... It creates time and space for God to work in our hearts so that we become the people who can not retaliate, who can embrace nonviolence, and who can, in fact, love our enemies. Right? How am I going to love my enemy? If I'm not spending time in prayer, it's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Now, I could spend a lot of time in prayer, and, you know, if I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, maybe that transformation doesn't occur. But here's the point. We do what we can by giving, fasting, and praying, and engaging in other spiritual habits. And then that opens up space for God to do what God can, which is really the transformed life. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I really think that that's, that's the reward. And if you think about it like, I mean, this is true for like a lot of things in life. You know, um, if you're playing sports, you can't just like try harder in the game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, I just need to be better at winning. It's like, you know what? People practice, right? You do things outside of the game so that when you're in the game, you can perform. You know, it's the same thing. It's like, well, I just need to try harder and be a great concert pianist. It's like, you can't just book lots of shows. Right? You actually have to do the work behind the scenes. And I think that's, that's what this is, is that the spiritual transformation that Jesus is calling us to inquires, requires that we put in effort. We can't make it happen, but we're active partners. Does that make sense? Jesus is saying, do these things. Give, fast, and pray, and let me work on transforming your heart and becoming more like uh, him. And you know what? What's interesting about this is, um, you know, this is what is taught in Judaism. This is Christianity. These are these three practices are three of the five pillars of Islam. You find it in Hinduism. You're not going to find any religious group that doesn't uh, advocate these practices. So it's like universally known that these are helpful practices for developing the human heart, for making us more compassionate people. So Jesus is assuming that we're doing these things, 
right? When you fast, when you give, when you pray. And what he's saying is, here's how I want you to do it. But I just really want to invite us to just pursue these practices. Now, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no... Jesus is calling us up. So wherever you are, amen, you're accepted in Jesus Christ. But how can we grow step by step, moment by moment? And I just want to give you that vision of why. Right? Jesus wants us to do these things so we can be transformed. So we can be the kind of people who love our enemies and who are salt and light. Amen? Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would please... That your words tonight would take root in our hearts, that they would produce fruit. Lord, that we would grow in these areas and that we would become more like you as a result. So, Lord, let these words of your uh, Sermon on the Mount take root in our heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, in a few moments, we're going to go... Uh, receive an offering so hopefully you have a a little connection card here and you can fill out your information on the front and then on the back uh, you can write what you're thanking God for what you're asking God for and um, and then we'll go ahead and receive uh, our offering